Yo, 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 what is up, guys? Welcome to Unapologetic Live. I'm your host, Amla Epinobi. Taylor is here as, as well. Always. <laughs> as always, Taylor is here. He never leaves my side. What a good friend. I'm so excited to have you all here today on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Getter, and Instagram now. So if you guys are seeing this and you're like, what is going on on her desk? We're Instagram streaming today. Uh, eventually, we'll cut that off. We'll cut off PragerU YouTube, and you guys can head over to my YouTube channel. Link in bio. Link is also in the description if you are watching on some other platform today. We have a lot to talk about. It's Friday, fun, fun Friday, which means we're going to do a week in review, talk about all the major stories that have been happening this week, give our commentary, give our perspective, maybe show you some left-leaning perspectives on things as well. And as always, if you have a fresh perspective, something you'd like to say, something that I haven't heard before, or something that I have heard before, go ahead and put that in the comments down below. As always, I am watching your comments on YouTube to see what you all are saying, and I'll also be watching on Instagram here as well. So let's get into story number one. Uh, here's the article out of Fox News. Twitter users shocked by ridiculous TikTok of new disinformation czar singing God help us. So essentially, there is going to be this new disinformation governance board. You can imagine what that means. When we hear the word disinformation, it's not a green flag for me. It's totally a red flag. It means anything we don't like to hear. <laughs> anything that goes against the narrative that we proposed. Anything that doesn't allow us to spew our propaganda into the soft and impressionable minds of our American citizens. That is what's considered disinformation. That's why we saw people like Joe Rogan, who has 11 million viewers uh, average on his episodes, be called a disinformation network and a proprietor of lies and misinformation and false narratives. So whenever I hear the word disinformation, a red flag is set off for me. But here is uh, this administration's new disinformation governance board executive director. And she decided on Twitter to post a video of her singing uh, a Mary Poppins song that she rephrased into this misinformation and what they're looking for. Guys, if you're watching on Instagram, go over to my YouTube link in bio if you want to see this video and hear it. Here we go. Wolverine is really quite ferocious It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious By saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie I'm cringing Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine Or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain They're laundering disinfo and we <sighs> really should take note And not support their lies with our wallet voice or vote Laundering is really quite ferocious It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious By saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet So disinformation's origin seems likely less atrocious oh, <laughs> no. Laundering is really... Uh, you know, there's sometimes when you make content for the internet And I do this often And I rewatch it and I go You know what? Not gonna post it <laughs> And this clearly didn't happen, or she clearly rewatched it and thought, this is beautiful. This is amazing. It's not. I'm going to go ahead and say it's not. Uh, yeah, so this is your new executive director of the disinformation board uh, here in the United States. This woman <laughs> gets to decide whether or not what you're saying is misinformed and then gets to take uh, make a response and, and dictate whether or not you should be allowed to say these things or what should happen to you as a consequence for saying these things. Should we all be concerned after watching that video? Presumably. <laughs> 
I'm a little concerned after watching that video. And I just imagine, you know, how TikTok has morphed the way our society communicates with each other. We saw that uh, this administration put on what was the guy's? He was like a administrative aide for Joe Biden, the the gay guy with the nails. And oh yeah, we did it, Jen. That guy. Yeah, we did it, Jen. <laughs> so it seems like you have to be on TikTok making cringe videos in order to qualify to work for this administration and do what you need to do. And this is just not a, yet another example of this. Now, of course, this was posted on Twitter. It went semi-viral. People are talking about it. And Nina Jenko. Wicks, I guess is what her name is. She made the, the TikTok account private, which is like, guys, don't go and bully her or whatever. I totally I totally get it. It's cringe. But uh, yeah, she made her TikTok account private. But we should be concerned that someone like that is in charge of dictating whether or not what you're saying is disinformation, which is a whole conversation that we can get into if you can even make a distinction like that. Because what we're calling... Uh, disinformation or what we were calling disinformation in conspiracy theories two years ago is now truth. It's now the mainstream narrative. It's now what legacy media wants to comment on every single day. It's really about what they're comfortable telling you and what they're comfortable with you knowing. And where we have conservative podcasters and classic liberals who are getting online and saying, hey, I did my own research and I was pretty diligent about it and I found all these studies and it doesn't quite line up with what the legacy media is saying. It doesn't quite line up with CNN and MSNBC and ABC and even sometimes Fox News or, you know, I know you guys are seeing all the fires burning outside your door in, in Minneapolis and the police department just got set on fire. <laughs> but MSNBC is saying that this is a mostly peaceful protest. So who gets to decide what disinformation is? That's a really important question. It brings into question our freedom of speech, our First Amendment right, and whether or not that's going to be infringed upon if we start opening up governance boards for disinformation. And what should make you even more concerned is this video right here of Nina Jenkins talking uh, about the 2020 election, all this fun stuff. Here's that video. Let's take a look at what she has to say and whether or not it's disinformation. Imagine that, you know, with President Trump right now calling all of these news organizations that have uh, inconvenient for him stories mm -hmm. that, they, that they're getting out there, that he's calling fake news and now lashing out at platforms. I would never want to see our executive branch have that sort of power. Um, and that's why, you know, the legislative process with our duly elected uh, officials is really important. That sort of consultative rulemaking process. Oh, let's pause <laughs> because we really come full circle. And she said that Trump would call things fake news because they deviated from the narrative that he liked and he heard something he didn't like or that was inconvenient for him and he called it fake news. Eh, we can debate on whether or not that's true. Oftentimes when he used the word fake news, it in fact was fake news. Were there times where that wasn't the case? Sure, I'm willing to concede that. But a lot of the times it, it very much was. And she says we should be concerned that the executive branch could harbor any power like that to be able to call something fake news like that. That's weird, because now you're <laughs> the head of the disinformation governance board for this executive branch. So where was the turnover, in your opinion, on whether or not the executive branch of our government gets to decide what's disinformation and what's not? Curious. I'll, I'll wait for a response on that. Um, and we can't just govern by executive order anymore. I think I'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> I think the reverberations in the free speech space are huge. Um, 
not to mention this is exactly what Section 230 was designed to do, to allow the platforms to enforce uh, the standards on on their own spaces. Um, so I think you know the entire conversation is being obviously blown out of proportion for political reasons. Um, I'm super but in the in the more democratic countries, I'm thinking um, in particular of Poland. Poland has established this consultative process with its Ministry of uh, Digitalization and Facebook um, because, like the Trump administration, and I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, uh, Law and Justice Party got this idea from the Trump administration. <laughs> they uh, they believe that there is anti-conservative bias on Facebook, even though there have been multiple studies that prove otherwise. Can you show me the studies? She said there have been multiple studies that prove that there is not anti-conservative bias on these big tech platforms. <laughs> Who did the studies? <laughs> I'm I'm wondering. It'll be like you you pull up the study and then you get to the end of it and it's like funded by Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> funded by Jack Dorsey. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see where those studies are that prove that there is not anti-conservative bias on these big tech platforms. And she brings up Section 230. She's like, well, that's why we have Section 230 that allows these these platforms to make a judgment on what belongs on them and what, what doesn't. Now, if we're really going to look into Section 230 and talk about that, shouldn't people like the Taliban not have Twitter? Twitter accounts on there to be able to recruit people and be anti-American on on these platforms and and literally post videos of people being beheaded. Shouldn't that be covered and, and shouldn't that be looked over? But no, because conservatives are far more evil than the Taliban. They're far more extreme than the Taliban. Their views are far worse than the Taliban. So that's what we should be focusing on, even though apparently there's studies that prove that there's not anti-conservative bias. Five days ago before Elon had a hold of Twitter and all that stuff. I could have gone on Twitter and said, hey, guys, just letting you know that I woke up this morning thinking that men are men and, and women are women. And boom, I would have been taken off the platform. Or, hey, guys, it's a little funny to me that we allow biological men to compete in female sports. Taken off of Twitter suddenly. But there's no anti-conservative bias on the platform. How dare you say such a thing? Uh, and they have this consultative process where they send someone from the Ministry of Digitalization to discuss with uh, Facebook's officers in Warsaw all of the instances of uh, unfair content moderation, and some of them are being overturned um, through that political pressure. They have a tip line that people can kind of report when they think their content has been unjustly overturned. And the Trump administration has a similar thing. So it's providing a lot of fodder for anti-democratic um, online governance. And it's it's very, very scary. And I think this is really where Congress needs to step in. Um, <laughs> I think we're we're seeing cooperation ramp up on a number of levels. So I will be completely honest and say that my program at the Wilson Center is partially funded by Facebook. <laughs> Imagine that. what did she just say? I will be totally honest and tell you that my program is partially funded by Facebook. And while I'm at it, let me tell you about how there's no bias against conservatives. These digital platforms are not engaged in any form of, of creating a narrative for you and trying to influence the way that you think and persuade what you think and feel. <laughs> yeah, it's fitting that she or that she, you know, tips her tips her hand that the, that her organization was funded by Facebook because effectively this new uh, Ministry of Truth or Disinformation Governance Board that they're trying to found is going to function uh, in the same way that the social media platforms and their community guidelines function. They want to do that for have national community guidelines to where in America you're not you are legally uh, going to be punished by the executive branch for violating America's community guidelines. And guess who gets to define what the guidelines are? Not the people, not 250 
years of case law, not the First Amendment, but whoever these people running the Ministry of Truth are. And that's what right. the problem is with this, is that there's no transparency, and it's, they're not beholden to the Constitution uh, or the First Amendment or uh, the case law that that we, has governed speech in America for the last 250 years. It's right. just, oh, no, we're setting up this new board to determine what's permissible speech. And nobody seems to care. And I think it's probably because we're not educated enough to know that we even need to care, at least not this younger generation. They're like the Constitution. What does that have to do with what I can say and whether or not I'm offended and whether or not I need a safe space, which we're going to get to some emails that I keep getting in regard to this whole Dylan Mulvaney thing, the trans TikToker that I reviewed. And this generation's idea and perception of free speech should be massively concerning to everybody who's watching this and everybody who will watch this because they have no reference point for it. They don't understand the importance of it. They don't understand the legitimacy of it. This is a tweet from uh, John Cardillo says, stop focusing on the weirdo in charge of the Ministry of Truth and focus on the illegality of the ministry itself. Our Constitution specifically prohibits weaponizing federal law enforcement to crush dissenting speech. Boom. Simple as that. That's the good thing about Twitter is that you get all these brilliant ideas said so simply and just given to you. And that is what is concerning here, that the federal government now gets to look at things that you are saying in your daily life that happen to be on social media because that's the age, that's the era that we're living in, uh, and they get to decide whether or not that is okay. They have taken federal law enforcement. This is what it is. It is law enforcement when you think about it, when you think about how our speech is protected and the laws that apply to our speech. And they get to tell you whether or not what you are saying is okay and whether or not it is allowed, which very basically, if you are in power and you have a certain set of beliefs, you have a certain set of ideas, and you would like to see those beliefs and ideas come to fruition, what would you do to people who have dissenting opinions or to people who disagree with you and disagree with you in a way that they are influencing others to do the same? You would go, ah, I've got an executive power. I'm just going to, boom, stomp that one out. I don't have to listen to them anymore, which is the beautiful thing about what Elon Musk is doing. Because Elon Musk could have bought Twitter for $44 billion and said, I'm going to crush anybody who disagrees with me, and I don't want any of you here. And anybody who says, I hate Elon Musk or, or my Tesla sucks, I could just take them off of Twitter. And he's not doing that. He's, in fact, using the power, using the money that he has to buy a platform and go, hey, even all the critics who disagree with me, come on. Let's make Twitter fun again. Let's allow it to be a free space of dialogue where we essentially have this public forum of everybody speaking to each other, going back and forth. Why? Because that's how we find truth. But Elon Musk, unfortunately, is a rare individual in this day and age. Now we have an abundance of people who would just be happy to sit in an echo chamber and stomp on everybody who disagrees with them and, and throw them in jail and never see them or hear from them again, which should be concerning, which is why I say when you are a conservative or a classic liberal fighting for free speech in this country, you are not simply fighting for yourself. You are fighting for everybody. You are fighting for people that love you. You are fighting for people who share this country with you. You are fighting for people who hate your guts to say whatever it is that they want to say on the internet, which is why over this past week, I've been getting all these extremely hateful and violent emails sent to me over me basically saying that men are men and women are women. <laughs> and you know what? I support that. I support your right to be able to email me whatever it is that you want to say, even if that's put a shotgun in your mouth. Guess what? You're protected in doing so. That is your right. You can say whatever it is, for the most part, that you would like to say. But there is a growing group 
of people in this country that would love that to not be the case. And that should concern you. It's so silly of me, but it sounded like you said men are men and women are women. You must meet me in detention later, or you're right, I must not tell lies on the board. <laughs> That's exactly right. People are saying it's Dolores Umbridge if you don't get that reference from Harry Potter. But is that why you wore pink today? That is not why I wore pink today. It just happenstance. Wow. Well, <laughs> we need some creepy cat wallpaper and stuff in here and finish the whole effect. But that, you know, it works out that way. You know, often truth is stranger than fiction, but often it coincides with fiction. And that is where we are today, which is terrifying. Oh, my gosh. And if we want to talk about disinformation, we did. We saw this recent speech where Obama came out. I forget what college campus he was on. Stanford. Stanford, of course. And he talked about disinformation in this era and how it it's truly a threat to democracy is how he described it. And during this speech, we showed the clip on the show. He said, you know, we need more reputable sources and things like that, like uh, like NPR and 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 I can't think of any other one. It's <laughs> <laughs> basically where we're at. Let's take a look at, at some of the tweets surrounding NPR because I just thought that was the funniest thing to for you to think that NPR represents journalistic integrity. Maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, NPR had a semblance of journalistic integrity. But now let's look at some of these tweets. This one's from hottakes.com. Uh, the other day, I heard someone on NPR say, not getting enough sleep is a racial justice issue. <laughs> and I had a stroke and I am now dead. <laughs> This is everything, what NPR yeah, reports Everything's on. a racial justice issue. Everything, if you think about it enough, is a racial justice issue. This desk being white, racist. Mm. The inside of my red solo cup being white, racist. Me, a half black individual saying things that are conservative, <gasps> a racial justice issue. Everything is. Everything. The fact that I even have to be in Taylor's presence, a white man who supports capitalism, is a racial justice issue. It's true. I've got black headphones on and that's appropriating black culture. And you've got white <laughs> yes. headphones on because you're aspiring to be a white person. Right, right. I constantly seek white validation yeah. in everything it is that I do in life. So I'm hoping that if I wear these headphones long enough, the whiteness will rub off on me uh, and soon my skin color will be changed. And when that <laughs> happens, it'll be the best day of my life. Let me tell you. <laughs> Here's another tweet from Katie Herzog. Turn on NPR, hear phrase, menstrual equity in climate change. Turn off. NPR. <laughs> it's so accurate. If you go, nobody really listens to the radio anymore, although some of you do, I'm sure. I can't imagine on, why. I can't imagine why you wouldn't listen to the radio anymore, unless you're listening to the Dennis Prager show, which by all means, go and listen to that. Uh, but you turn on NPR and this is what you hear. It used to be when I was a kid, I'd be like rolling around in my mom's car. Obviously, yeah, I was... I was buckled in, not rolling around in the car, but just chilling in the car. And she'd turn on NPR and it'd be like, wait, wait, don't tell me or car talk or whatever. Or it'd be like, we sent a journalist over to the the bottom of Peru to to investigate this underground hornets or something like that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like something totally crazy and wacky and out there. But just that was on its face, a very interesting subject matter that you normally wouldn't hear about. And that's what national public radio was for. And that was a beautiful thing to just learn new things every day when you turn on your, your radio and have it be entertaining uh, in a way that is not, you know, mind numbing or junk food for the mind. They were truly giving you interesting stories of stuff that you would never hear and you would never look for. And now NPR is like, why black women should spit on white men's feet as they walk down the streets? 
Or they'll bring on like a new author or artist or filmmaker and interview them and then be like, so your book is about uh, ants in the Andy Mountains. Right. Tell us how that's racist. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. That's it. Tell us why women shouldn't say the phrase, I'm sorry so much anymore. And this is the new, fa the new wave of radical feminism. That's what NPR is about. And for somebody like Obama... Uh, we all know what Obama's really like, but for somebody like him to get up and say, well, NPR still represents uh, good journalism. It's about one of the only sources left. Here's an article out of NPR. How social emotional learning, which social emotional learning is just repackaged critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion learning, just so you know. How social emotional learning became a target for Ron DeSantis and conservatives, basically painting us as crazy whistleblowers and we're, we're just whistle, we're just uh, blowing into this dog whistle about critical race theory and not wanting it in schools. This is what NPR reports on. So if any of you, let, let me know, what are the news sources that you use and you rely on I'm sure you guys have the ones that lean right. You have your OAN, you have your Newsmax, you have Fox News, you have Breitbart, you have the Daily Wire. Are there any just generally unbiased news sources that just put out what's happening that you guys listen to and that you guys refer to when you make arguments or when you're talking to family members about what's happening? I would be curious to know because it seems like these things are seemingly unable, unable to be found. And for all of you who wanted to see the true breakdown of NPR, this is from allsides.com that does analysis on whether or not there's media bias or misinformation in news. Again, who knows what misinformation truly means to these people. But very clearly, it's depicted that NPR leans left and very far left when you look at this graph. It should basically be in the left category, but it's right there, right there on the edge of being just a leftist uh, media outlet. And here is their bias. All of this on the left, all of this in the center. And where where are the conservative opinions? And where did we give voice to anything that is a dissident opinion from the political left? Oh, that little sliver of 0 0.02, 0 0.01, 0 0.01. That's where it is. So Obama thinks NPR upholds journalistic integrity and is unbiased. What do you think? And even if you are a left-leaning person watching right now, Let's be honest, when news sources are left, like, I will be very honest about the fact that Fox News is clearly biased towards the politically right perspective. Can we be honest in reference to NPR as well? Because we should be. It is simply the case. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Now, let's move on to another story. We'll stop talking about this disinformation governance board, although I'm sure we will have stories about that in the future to talk about, because anytime we give the federal government charge over what we can and cannot say, we are bound for trouble and we are bound for some salacious stories that will come out in the wake of that. So I'm sure we will revisit that on this program. Next, we have Elon Musk posting a meme uh, a cartoon meme about where ideology has shifted over the past few years in the U.S. specifically, but really nationwide. I want to pull up the cartoon here. Uh, Colin Wright, shout out to Colin Wright because he's been on this show before. He's at Swipe Wright on Twitter if you'd like to go and follow him. He did a Devil's Advocate episode with us where we covered gender ideology. I played the leftist. I questioned him about it, and he just rocked my sh in that episode so you guys can go and watch that it's on uh, it's on my channel on youtube link in bio for those of you watching on instagram so here's the cartoon that elon posted he's basically saying you know the the right has stayed 
where it has always been in its values. They're pretty stagnant. Not not much has changed in far as far as making the right more extreme. And the left has constantly, in this consistent charge, moved farther and farther left and more radical and more extreme in their views. And where people, maybe, let's say in 2008, like this cartoon depicts, were sitting in the center and maybe a little left of center, those people have been forced to move more center, to move more center, and then move to the political right because of how extreme the left has gotten. So conservatives have just been sitting here and going, Okay, you guys are you guys are crazy, but I still believe this, this and that. And it's the same thing that I believed eight years ago. It's the same thing that I believed 14 years ago. And the left has gone, no, you know, every year something changes. Every year we have a new progression. Every year we need to transform the society in a different way. And you guys better catch up with us. I know you guys are staying consistent in your beliefs, but we need you to be a little less consistent and just follow us on whatever route we want to go down. Whatever path we are charging towards, you guys need to get back on that. Because it's not a choice that I make for myself as an individual. Not only do I need to change my body and change my beliefs, but you need to change your body and your beliefs as well. Because it doesn't work if you don't conform to everything it is that I believe and I say to you. So the people who are sitting in the center who are maybe classic liberals or, yeah, I would say they're classic liberals. They go, oh, no, now we're talking about making people conform and we're talking about gender switching up and we're talking about white supremacy and teaching kids that they're oppressors and oppressed and we're talking about enslaving ourselves to corporations and we're talking about a globalist economy where in 2030 we're going to own nothing and be happy about it and that's what you guys want the conservatives are sounding a lot better right now and they've also been pretty consistent i think i'm gonna go that way and elon tweeted this out it got 1.4 million likes which, man, we talked about this on the show when Elon bought Twitter. And the question was, is this one thing, Elon Musk buying Twitter, going to create a complete and utter cultural shift in the way that we view wokeism? And it seems like it just might. With the amount of engagement that this is getting, with the amount that people are talking about this, it is quite beautiful. Because what this does, it doesn't make leftism look good at all. It, in fact, brings a microscope to all the fallacies, all the plot holes, all the hypocrisy and all the problems. And we couldn't bring a microscope to that before because we were getting censored in doing so. But now it's happening openly, so much so that leftists have to join in and get on the battlefield and start to talk about these things and expose themselves. They have to talk about why they don't support free speech anymore. They have to talk about why they don't want Twitter to be an open and public forum for everybody to speak their mind. And when they talk talk about it who's really looking the fool it's not us it's not us saying hey we want everybody to be able to speak and have their rights it's them so elon musk posted this it caused an uproar in washington post none other than washington post who we know really well from from doxing libs of tiktok recently that's why why uh has been in the story and why we've been why we've been talking about them they said what elon musk's polarization graph gets wrong and they essentially make this argument that by looking at the way our elections work in this country that the left isn't getting more leftist they're not getting more radical because it's not happening it's not happening it's it's almost as if 
they want to cover up their tracks and try to backtrack on some of the things that they've been saying. I believe Washington Post is the one that put up the article that said, you know, inflation's happening. You guys just need to lower your standards. <laughs> it's not our fault that you guys are so accustomed to going into the grocery store and having everything available for you. Lower your standards, you greedy, privileged American. So they're no stranger to just spouting off ideology and then trying to backtrack on it when they get a little bit of pushback on it. And of course, the left has gotten crazier. Five years ago in this country, were we having discussions about what pronouns we should use for people? I was because I was a radical leftist. But was anybody else? Was that really a, a common argument that we were getting into with our peers, our family members on social media? Were we five years ago discussing whether or not a little kid can chop their business off and say that they're a girl were we having those discussions five years ago <laughs> five years ago were we going into kindergarten and telling the white kids that their ancestors were evil slave owners and that they should feel guilt for it no we weren't having those discussions five years ago were we dealing with rates of inflation that we've never seen before in this country and then listening to a government tell us that everything's fine and actually the economy's booming <laughs> No, five years ago, were we being told that we should be forced to get a medical treatment that we do not want and do not need, and that if we don't, we can't lead our normal lives, we can't go to bars, we can't go to sporting events, we can't walk outside our door without a mask on? No. And you mean to tell me that the left is not getting more radical in their views and what they're telling us? Is that really what you want to say? Five years ago, were we having discussions about whether or not a woman can kill her child after it's born, like the discussions we're having now in California? No, we were not having these discussions. So surely they have gotten more radical. And the Washington Post gains nothing in lying about the fact that this is the case. If you truly wanted to garner an audience that trusts what you have to say and is willing to take that into account in the decisions that they make in their daily life, decisions like voting, very important decision, you would be honest about what's actually happening and try to get that trust back because you've lost it. And now that you've lost it, nobody's ever going to listen to you again. Do you think anybody's going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, you know what, I want to give Joy Reid another try from MSNBC. I actually should revisit Van Jones. I should revisit Brian Stelter and, and see what he has to say again because I feel like I could trust him again. I feel like that abusive boyfriend who's hit me on 10 occasions now has suddenly changed and he's not going to hit me anymore because he gave me some flowers and he told me that uh, COVID's over. <laughs> no, that's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And we're not going to go back to the way we used to be. But Washington Post can keep putting out ridiculous articles because that's what's going to happen. And we'll be able to call it out. And more people and more people and more people are going to see it because independent media is the future, not mainstream media, not legacy media. It's creators like us. It's creators like Joe Rogan. It's creators like Tim Pool. It's creators like people at The Daily Wire who are creating these independent media outlets that are telling you from an honest perspective what we believe is going on and also admitting when we're wrong, admitting when we don't know things, admitting when we have questions and asking those questions to you. It's not some person like Brian Stelter sitting in front of you and going, I know everything and you know nothing and you're stupid. 
and you don't know anything unless I tell it to you, so wait for me to say it, and that's when you know something. And also, in the background, let me put these ads up for Amazon and Instagram and Facebook so that you know the information is trustworthy. <laughs> because these big tech oligarchs gave it to me. Yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. A very strong limb. A very sturdy limb and say that that's not the future of this country and the way that we get media. And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody on Instagram. I'm going to say goodbye to people on PragerU's YouTube, and we will be up on all other platforms. We are up on YouTube, my YouTube, Amal Epinobi, Facebook, Rumble, Getter. Go and meet us there. If you're on Instagram, go to the link in my bio, and you can watch the rest of the show there and see all the details that we will be showing you. Thank you so much for joining me, and we will be back. Okay, so everybody who's still here... Let's look at some leftist responses to what's happening with Elon and Twitter. This is from Hassan. You guys know Hassan Piker. He is a rich socialist um, who is on Twitter. He's on Twitch. That's his biggest platform where he makes, I believe, $200,000 a month doing his Twitch streaming, but advocates for socialism here in this country because, you know, the poor are disenfranchised and we need to give our money to them. I wonder how much money Hassan Piker is giving to the poor on any given day. I imagine not that much. So Hassan tweeted out, conservatives never mention what the extremist values are. Like the hijacking is obviously untrue, but what even would be the extremist values the left pushes if they actually did take over the Democratic Party? Single payer health care, free college, labor protections, terrifying. We talk every day on this program about the different extremist values that leftists are pushing for in our culture. This idea that men and women don't exist. This idea that racial identity says something about you. This idea of toxic masculinity, even though men exist and men don't exist to them. Toxic masculinity exists and men are toxic and we live in this patriarchal structure. This idea that abortion should be a right for anybody in any given day. This idea that we should actually take care of everybody's student loan debt, which is a conversation that we're having right now in our White House. So there are some very extreme values, and that's just, you know, touching the top of the bucket there. That's one drop as far as what the left is pushing for in this country. So when you ask what are the extreme values, there's a short list. If you guys are listening on YouTube, put some more in the in the comments down below, because there are way more than just that. Above all, it's this idea that truth does not exist and that all of it is subjective. This idea that you can speak your truth, that there is no our truth, there is no objective reality. In fact, nothing matters and nothing ever will. So speak to your truth and just expect everybody else to accept that for you. And if they don't, they're evil, they're bigoted, and they don't have the right to free speech. So that's some of the values, Hassan. Uh, now, Vouch tweeted out, don't forget the extreme radical politics of having the same position on trans people as the UN and APA. This apparently gives you some authority. If I'm saying exactly what the UN is saying, if I'm saying exactly what the APA is saying, I'm doing something good. Guess what the UN is also doing? The UN operatives that go to other foreign countries are also raping children. <laughs> so you're also on the same side of the people who do that. So is that okay? And while the UN knows about the disgusting acts that are being committed against children, they just cover that up. So are you also with the UN on their take on that? The UN was also uh, in this whole Twitter battle with Elon Musk, where Elon Musk said, 
hey, at the UN, at the United Nations, let me know exactly how much money it would take to end world hunger, put it out on a sheet, write out the budget for me and where you would be allocating the funds. And as soon as you give me that piece of paper, I will give you the exact amount of money that you have asked for. Did the UN do a Jen Psaki and circle back on that and tell him exactly how much money they would need and where they would spend it? No, they didn't. Which is why when we see all these leftists complaining on the internet about Elon Musk, they're saying Elon Musk spent $44 billion to buy Twitter and he could have used that money to end world hunger. Guess what, baby girl? He tried. He messaged the UN and said, tell me how much you need and I will give it to you. And guess what? They didn't do it. So this idea that just because you represent the same position as the United Nations and the APA suddenly puts you on this high horse of, of, of morality is completely wrong. Because there's a lot of horrible things that these institutions do. Do you also stand with their position on that? No, I would imagine that you don't. I would give you the benefit of doubt of the doubt and imagine that you don't stand with them on those issues. And even so, the UN didn't have this take seven years ago. So it doesn't speak to the progression of leftist ideology and just how radical and extreme it has gotten. Because like I said before, these are not discussions that we were having even five, 10, 20 years ago in this country. So clearly it's progressed. So you can try to, to backtrack or make your views defendable, but they're not. They're not. And certainly not by saying the UN thinks the same thing. But you can keep trying. Uh, it's just amazing to me that that's the argument here. Now, speaking of defending people, standing by them, being anti-cancel culture, which I believe is the new era that we are entering here in the United States, we've got some drama with Chris Pratt. A lot of people came after Chris Pratt because, not even because he's very open about the views that he has. Chris Pratt does follow PragerU on Twitter, by the way. Whoop, whoop, okay. Uh, so we've got some cool people on our side here. But Chris Pratt is pretty openly... Christian. He's been open about that. Somewhat open about being conservative, although not making any massive statements about it that I'm aware of. If you're aware of them, let me know. But James Gunn, who's in this whole MCU, Star-Lord, Guardians of the Galaxy business, everybody came at him and said, James Gunn, you need to get rid of Chris Pratt. You need to take him out of the franchise. He doesn't deserve to be there anymore. He doesn't deserve your time. He doesn't deserve our attention because if anybody disagrees with me, they shouldn't make money and they shouldn't have a career, even if they're talented in what they do and they don't bring politics into it. And James Gunn retorted back in this beautiful statement of defense saying if he ever was, you know, canceled off of the MCU universe, we would all be going with him. And I love this because it shows that although political thought and ideology is very important, it doesn't make up all of what a person is. And you can still love somebody and have a relationship with them, even when your political values are not the exact same. And I believe that to be true for James Gunn. He is not probably not a fan of Chris Pratt's uh, political views. He also tweeted out, uh, somebody said, Marvel, hear me out, just replace him and put a picture of another actor here. And James Gunn said, for what? Because if you're made up other utterly false beliefs about him, for something that someone else told you about him that's not true, Chris Pratt would never be replaced as Star-Lord, but if he ever was, we would all be going with him. Now, I, I love this statement in part. Uh, the part that I don't like about it is saying that, you know, these are utterly false beliefs about him. What if they were true? What if Chris Pratt is just an openly, blatantly conservative Christian man? Is that a problem? 
Would that warrant you taking him out of the MCU? Would that warrant you replacing his position as Star-Lord? I would hope not. So this this decision should not be contingent upon these these accusations being utterly false. They, the decision should be contingent upon the fact that you value people who have dissident opinions and you allow that in your space of work and you allow that in the art form that you are a part of in film, in cinema, in Hollywood, which is something that is not normal for Hollywood whatsoever. So I love part of it. I don't love the part where he says these are false accusations because what if they weren't? It shouldn't matter either way. Uh, Chris Pratt should be able to hold his views and still hold his job. Uh, so good news here that he is not going anywhere. Now, to close out today's show, I just wanted to go and look through some of Elon Musk's tweets this week because they've been just on fire. So good. And I just wanted to make sure that you all have seen them, too, because I truly believe a new era is being ushered in and I can't wait to see it happen. And if it doesn't, I will be a little sad. Uh, so here's something that he said that I like. The far left hates everyone, themselves included, but I'm no fan of the far right either. Let's have less hate and more love. And he's spoken on Twitter on several occasions about when he is doing his job right with running Twitter, the people on the far extreme right and the people on the far extreme left are going to be equally angry. And we can speak to whether or not equally angry is the best characterization of that, but there is some truth to that. That when you truly have an open forum where everybody and everybody in this country is able to share their opinions on it, you know, outside of giving a valid threat to somebody or, you know, inciting violence, in, not in the way the leftists view it, but actually inciting violence, um, people are going to be angry. The The far right extreme is going to be angry to hear all these far left views and the far left is going to be angry to hear some of these extreme right views. Uh, they're going to be really angry to hear everybody's views other than their own, but we can talk about that at a later date. But there is something to be said that when you are truly allowing a public town square to evolve on the internet, everybody's going to be just about equally mad to hear some of the stupid arguments that they feel other people are making. So I thought that was beautiful. Uh, we've also made jokes about other institutions and other companies that Elon should buy and make better. And he tweeted out, next I'm buying Coca-Cola to put cocaine back in. <laughs> and he actually added Coca-Cola and said, oh, hi, LOL. Real magic is only a sip away. Actual slogan of Coca-Cola. And these tweets are getting such high engagement. The one thing I really love about allowing humor to enter this space and this discussion is it really diffuses the situation. How mad can you be at somebody who makes a relatable joke to you about something that you understand and something that you know, even if he represents a set of values that you dislike? It's a beautiful thing to bring comedy and laughter in a space of such tension because it gives something people gives people something to attach to. It gives them something to laugh at. It just alleviates the situation a little bit. I'll read a couple more. He said, let's make Twitter maximum fun. Who's against fun? A beautiful thing, a beautiful just unifier of all of us is comedy and fun and being able to have these conversations even when they're difficult. And lastly, now I'm going to buy McDonald's and fix all the ice cream machines. <laughs> a shared bipartisan struggle in this, in this country is going to McDonald's to get a damn vanilla ice cream cone and being told... The ice cream machine isn't working. 
That has 2.4 million likes, by the way. So something that can unite us all. I think that was actually a Photoshopped meme, though. And then he quote tweeted the meme and said, listen, I can't do miracles. Okay, that's beautiful. And everybody's going out and making these memes of everything that Elon can buy and fix. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful that in a time where we could all just be at each other's throats and screaming at Elon for being this billionaire who buys a company or whatever, we're making jokes about what else he could possibly do with his money. And it's something that's so relatable and that we can all attach ourselves to. And we've all had that experience in our lives. And I think that's where we close out the show. As much as we like to talk about these issues, talk about our perspectives on them, I like closing out with something we can all unify behind. And that is being upset that McDonald's ice cream machines are always broken. Thank you so much for watching. Please like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single day when we go live. That is at 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen to us on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Give us a like there. Follow us there. We want to up the podcast listening as well. Leave a comment down below. What should we leave down below? What should Elon buy? What should Elon buy and how can he make it better? What is the fix that he needs to make with his next endeavor? What's the next corporation, company, institution, even country that Elon should buy next and fix up? I would love to see it. I love to know. I'll be cracking up listening and watching your comments come in and thank you guys so much i hope you have a fantastic weekend and i will see you all on monday